Hello, and welcome back to another exciting episode of DSLR Film New Podcast. Mitch from Planet 5D joins me today. Mitch, what have you been up to? I am doing just all sorts of great stuff this week, DJ. Lots of stuff like preparing for NAB. Are you ready? I'm actually not going to make NAB this year. Oh, no! I um, My schedule got all messed up. I was in Pittsburgh last week. And then this week I have to, well, actually today, as soon as I get off this cast, I'm packing and flying to Portland and I'll be in Portland and Washington. And then it sounds like I'm going to have a one month job in that area. So I'm going to end up having to give up NAB this year because of that. Oh, man. So Bummer. I'm going to have to look forward to all of your reporting on it. Well, we're going to have some awesome reporting because I'm going to do the thing that I did last year where we consolidate all bloggers on one live feed it's gonna be cool that was pretty nice actually brought everything together and it brought it all into one post and then everybody had the same thing on the same sites right i i mean i don't know why people don't do this more often and of course okay i do know because some people only like their own stuff and they don't like to share with other people well, I but think, you and I are cool because we share with everybody. You know, Mitch, I think that's one thing you do actually pretty well is consolidation. Um, right. There's so much information out there. and There's so many different people putting out stuff. And then you actually kind of bring all of that together into one spot. So good job with that, man. Thank you. Gosh, I'm blushing. Can you see? <laughs> On that note, let's cue the news jingle. Time for the news. First up on the news list today, I've got Tamron's latest release of a 15 to 35 millimeter f2.8 full frame lens. This is pre-ordering for about $1,200. The 15 to 35 millimeter f2.8 lens also features an E-band and B-bar coatings. I don't know what that is. That sounds like <laughs> Bebop and Rock Study there. And it also features uh, Tamron's flavor of image stabilization, which is the VC for vibration control. Uh, this is rumored to be their first 50 megapixel compatible release for their next line of lenses. Now, their 24 to 70 was a pretty popular lens, and that also featured their image stabilization system. What do you think about this 15 to 35? I I have been a fan of Tamron's for decades, to be honest with you. Although I don't currently own any. Uh, I probably should be looking more at what they're doing because what they're doing now is very impressive stuff. Uh, it's it's a step up from what I think they were doing back 20 years ago when I was buying their gear. Well, even going uh, back about five or six years right here, I'm holding up the 28 to 75 F2.8. And this was an okay lens, but it wasn't amazing. Now their 70 to 20 or 24 to 70 is a pretty popular lens that comes right. comes with built in image stabilization and it's what twelve hundred, and you can get it as low as like eight ninety nine on sale a lot of times. This one now they're coming into the wide angle lens sort of format, and fifteen to thirty five is a pretty attractive wide angle lens. Right, and they're adding all of their new technology, quote unquote, to it. So twelve hundred bucks. Not to mention bucks. that it's yeah, and it's an f two point eight, yeah, which is kind of unusual for a zoom, quote unquote, lens. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's pretty sexy, actually. I'm, I'm kind of eyeballing this guy. I own the 16 to 35 uh, and the 17 to 35 from Canon, the really old one from way back in the day. And I never really bothered to upgrade to the new 16 to 35 Mark II. So maybe I'll check out the 15 to 35. Now, I'm, do you, how how often do you do is, use a wide angle? Uh, on a regular basis, actually. 
it's enough that I kept my 17 to 35 and throw that in my other bag so that I have two extreme wide angles for certain things. It's really good if you're doing uh, someone's perspective shot. So you want right. to, you want to have somebody like look into someone else's face and you have the camera acting as their face. That wide angle look kind of gives people the sort of impression that that's what's going on. It's also really nice when you want to make someone look a little bit skinnier than they really are. So <laughs> then you, you just swing that out to like 24 or, or a little bit wider and then you kind of, I know it's distortion, but it also makes them look a little bit thinner in the face. Right. So that's kind of a nice feature to have. Well, if you if you watch much TV, and, and I probably watch more than I should, and I know you don't watch any, but <laughs> I, I'm often trying to figure out two things when I'm watching a show. What lighting are they doing? And I had a great conversation with Shane Hurlbut the other day on lighting, by the way, which was kind of fun. Uh, but um, the other thing is trying to figure out what lenses they're using, because realistically, there's a lot of wide-angle lenses used in order to get multiple actors in the same shot. Yeah. So well, you, and know, you, run you into, don't really think about it. You run much. into places where uh, your room space is really small, right. and uh, you're trying to kind of get everything, get your establishing shots done. And with your establishing shots, you want to have all of your characters in the shot simul- or, you know, at the same time. And if your room's only 10 foot by 5 foot or 10 foot by 8 foot, how do you do that? Well, right. you do a low angle, wide angle lens, or you go right up to the door and then you use the wide angle lens to get everybody. It's, you don't have to do it all the time. And in wide open spaces, generally, I just back up a little ways and use my 24 to 70. Or a lot of times, actually... And this is something that surprised me when I first started filming is the 70 to 200 stays on my camera quite a bit when I'm shooting outdoors. And it's because I can just walk around. I have so much space to move. And that lens allows me to knock out the background. If I, you know, zoom into 200, then it looks really, really decent for making a kind of crummy background or backdrop look out of focus and nice. Yeah. I I currently also am using my seventy to two hundred with the from Canon, and I was just looking around the room because I wonder where I put it because I've got to have it for tomorrow. <laughs> but um, you know, you and I have talked, I think, about the fact that I still do a lot of stills, and uh, that seventy to two hundred is just incredible for stills. Yeah, I've kind of been wanting the two hundred to four hundred, but it's yeah. one of those where I want it, but I don't know how much I'll actually use it. Right. I don't really, you know, spy on cheating husbands or anything like that. So then it's kind of like, well, maybe not. Now, moving well, on it, down. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I my daughter is currently in a color guard unit uh, for her high school. And so for the next two months, I think we're doing multiple uh, events. And I love the 70 to 200, but there are several times where I just love to be standing right next to them. Because I like the close-ups. I like the faces to see what they're doing as opposed to the, the wide-angle stuff. You know, you can, you can see the entire color guard with a 15-millimeter, but you can't see the faces. So, anyway. Yeah, and the sports as well. I mean, if you're doing any kind of sports coverage, it's really nice to just get in there and get the guy hitting yeah. somebody else or something like that. Right. And a horse riding, you know, anything where it's dangerous to be too close to a swinging flag or something like that. <laughs> Well, those little girls are pretty violent with those flags. Oh, you know man. it. All right, moving so what on. About the, oh, wait. 
Are you going to talk about the 50 millimeter, or I'm sorry, 50 megapixel ready? Oh, yes. Okay. Let's, let's break that out. Um, so Sony is rumored to be releasing a 50 megapixel sensor with their next camera. And Mitch is actually following the notes better than I am here. I'm looking at it now. <laughs> I've got it underlined, and I even did that just a few minutes ago. So obviously <laughs> I am behind my own outline here. Um, but Sony is releasing a 50 mega, or supposedly releasing a 50 megapixel sensor in their next version of the A7s. And it's also rumored that Canon is going to sort of work with Sony to release a sensor in their next 5D Mark Five, I guess, that has, Mark, or Mark, Mark IV, IV, excuse me, right. that would have a 50 megapixel sensor sensor as well. And that would be a sort of um, collusion between Sony and Canon to create this new sensor and add their pixel, you know, that uh, AF pixel sensor thing right. layer that they've, they've been really excited about. Dual, they call it dual pixel. Thank you. I should yeah. have typed that down as well. <laughs> Boy, this morning okay. thing just isn't working for me. That's why we have each other here, DJ, to be able to pull these things together. So what do you think about 50 megapixel, Mitch? For photography, I think it's awesome. Uh, for video, of course, the question has always been, does that work on the video side? Uh, the thing that I, I often hail back to is the fact that the 5D Mark III, for example, they increased the megapixel count on the 5D Mark III in order to make it be a ratio, I think it's four to one or something. I've forgotten the exact numbers. I'm sorry. Uh, for the the sensor to be able to downsize to 1080 and reduce the moray a whole bunch. I don't know whether 50 megapixels or 53 or whatever the right next step up would be for video. But I can see that uh, Nikon has the ability, for example, to do the extraction of different sizes their df and xf or whatever i've forgotten again all these different acronyms you know <laughs> it gets ever, hard i'm, I'm gonna jump ahead jump to something different do you uh, do you know the guys at three-legged thing they, uh, they do tripods uh maybe i meet so many people mitch i'm just uh <laughs> well okay so you don't know the people but three-legged thing is a tripod company and they're out of the united kingdom okay the, the thing that i absolutely love about them is that they call their products by name. There's the Eric and the Brian and the <laughs> Barry. And instead of having to remember the XF Y2K5Z model number, you just say, hey, I need a Brian. And Man. I love that. <laughs> Sony is so guilty of that. Every single Sony product is letters and numbers, and it's a string with some dashes in it. And you're trying to remember, you know, and... I, Later on in the in the list here, I've got uh, their adapters, and they've got the LAEA4, the LAEEA3, and then they've got, oh, the, you man. know, and you're like, okay, well, which one is which? And they have four adapters that when you look at them, they all look the same, but based on the number and letter scheme, it means something different. And if you Somebody. screw up and buy the cheap one, it may not do what you want it to do, and it's like, why, Sony? And I don't know if, if naming it Eric and Sam and George is quite the right option, but maybe call it the, uh, I don't know what it does, like the E-mount to A-mount adapter for crop sensor cameras. That would be great. Then I know exactly what it is and I'm not confused, you know, and right. this one has yeah. SLT in it. So then now you know that it provides better focusing systems with a motor driver or something like that. You know, I don't know. Uh, yeah. That's just the standard complaint. Even Canon for its part is 
you know, Mark III, Mark II, Mark I, you know, when you say, well, I'm shooting on a 5D, now you have to ask, like, well, which one are you shooting on? And same with the 1D, you know, in the old days, the 1D was, that was it. Now you have Mark I, Mark II, Mark III, Mark IV, and it just goes up and down. Well, and, and you get into trouble like um, Rode just did with their microphones. They have the NTG-1, the NTG-2, the NTG-3, and the NTG-3 is the highest quality one. But, okay, so now they come out with a new one and they call it the NTG-4. But it actually fits in between the NTG-2 and the NTG-3. And so, <laughs> you know, their number scheme is now messed up. So it's, I, I know it's difficult. Uh, it's really hard for plane manufacturers to, to come up with new names for their planes. You know, I used to work for Boeing. Uh, but you want me to tell you a quick story that I think is funny? Yeah, go for it. My uncle used to work for IBM. And he was a senior vice president, and he went to a meeting where they were putting out a new computer. And this was back in the 70s or 80s. And they had all these executives sitting around the room, and they started at like 9 o'clock in the morning. And finally, they get to lunch. And the whole purpose of the meeting was to come up with a name for this new computer they were working on. And so finally, the senior executive stands up and says, I'm ready for lunch it's 11.30 by my watch. That's what we're going to call this computer. And off they went. They just called it the 11.30. <laughs> like, that's the way to name something. Just, just, I mean, the, but they spent hours trying to come up with the right name. And then it was based on the guy's watch. Well, and there's, there's actually companies now out there, product naming companies, that you pay them, you know, half a million dollars. And they go through your product and look at it. And then they bring back like seven or eight weird names that they've come up with. And then you pay them once you've decided on one of those names. Yeah. And it almost feels like people are just taking the name-making decision away from themselves and blaming it on someone else if they don't like it. <laughs> or in the case of Sony, you know, whatever they scribble down on the bottom of the page is what they're exactly. going to end up using. Exactly. Now, today seems to be a heavy lens day here. Uh, CanonRumors.com is reporting the Sigma is going to be discontinuing the 24-105 to f4 lens. Uh, this has had really good reports and reviews. The 24 to 105 Sigma offering has been called superior to the Canon's 24 to 105 lens, but the not superior part is the price. The Sigma 24 to 105 retails for about 899, while Canon's 24 to 105 retails for 599 or way less if you get one of those package kit deals on uh, B and H or Amazon. Or especially eBay, it seems like the gray market. You can get the twenty-four to one hundred five for four fifty to five hundred dollars. Now, what do you think? A better lens, but it's not selling enough to make it worthwhile. Well, I, th you know, a lot of the problem uh, shouldn't say problem. The opportunity was for many people, which is why you see them on eBay. Is they buy the kit, like the five D Mark III kit with the twenty-four to one hundred five, and then they don't need it, so they go sell it on eBay. Yeah. I mean, the 24 to 105 used to be about a grand, if I remember correctly, when they first came out with it. Uh, and many of the kit prices were seven, eight hundred dollars more with the 24 to 105 in it from Canon. Uh, so I think I think that's what's flooded the market is you've got so many Canon 24 to 105s out there because of that process of just not wanting the lens and selling it on eBay but buying the kit. I wonder how long the uh, Canon 24 to 105 F4 has been out. It seems like six Forever. years, seven yeah. years. 
Yeah. And you're well, right. I've seen some rumors about a new version coming out too, but that yeah. hasn't happened yet. Well, and Sigma's done some really cool stuff with their art series lenses. I know there's mixed reviews on their 50 and their 85, but uh, their 35 has been really popular. And it seems like they're kind of going in at it to try and make something nicer than what Canon's offering. But in this case, the price just didn't make it attractive enough, I guess. I, it could be. Uh, either that or people are really starting to focus uh, bad pun on <laughs> uh, f 2.8 and below like you know you and I, I i would much rather have an f 2.8 or lower than than an f4 or 5 so for filmmaking you think that's though a trend? the 24 to 105 range at f4 is actually pretty attractive especially if right. you're you're on a 5d mark 3 um the amount of low light capability means that you're in a good spot, and then tw- uh, F4 is about where you would shoot if you're if you're filming people running around and stuff on a regular basis. So honestly, when I hand the camera off to somebody else to to shoot another shot, that's the zoom I give them so that I can, you know, basically believe that something will be in focus and it'll be usable. <laughs> Whereas if I gave them the F2.8, it could be yeah. that you know their face is out of focus and some shoe laying on the ground or something like that is the thing that's in focus. For yeah. photography, though, F2.8 is very attractive. I I even, and I've got this noted down here, I've been kind of jonesing to take a look at that uh, F1.8 fixed uh, zoom that uh, Sigma released, what, about uh, seven months ago, eight months ago? That thing, it's I know it's for crop sensors only, but F1.8 across the zoom range is pretty sexy. Yeah, you aren't kidding. And, you know, honestly, with the new... Uh, focal reducers and everything else that they're using uh, from Speed Booster. I'm kind of surprised we haven't seen that sort of technology incorporated into more micro four-thirds lenses. I know Olympus has one F1.8 zoom, and uh, I can't remember what the range is off the top of my head, but it's a monster. And if we were to incorporate that focal reduction and put a little bit bigger lens on the micro four-thirds or crop sensor cameras, we could do a little more f1.8 zooms and then man that almost i don't say it completely eliminates primes but f1.8 for a lot of things man if i had a zoom one zoom that would handle a decent range or four primes or three primes you know i would just grab the zoom and go f1.8's good enough yeah Hmm. absolutely now moving on down the line here uh, panasonic has released a new firmware update for the gh4 version 2.1 is out now, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes. It does look like they've added a few new features, and I'm kind of scrolling through here to see what's important. Uh, they've added time code through HDMI output, and you know a lot of these firmware updates, and this is just a side note, they're all over the place. I mean, some things you really wanted, and some things are just like, hey, we improved color space somewhere, and you're like, what does that right. mean? I don't know, but... Right. With this one, uh, it looks like they're adding time code. Uh, they are adding some uh, different picture features. Uh, in uh, full HD mode, they're adding 30p and 25p native support via the HDMI output. Uh, looks like they've got some more ads to the picture menu, so you can add a setting for 1080p, 30p, and 1080p, 25 frames per second, playback format, yeah, you know what? This doesn't look as exciting as I thought it did when I first put it in here. I'm scrolling through here now, and I'm thinking, eh, what was wrong with it before? Yeah. Uh, the the great thing about it is that people are now putting out um, 
firmware updates. Yeah, like you've got in the show notes down below that the Atomo Shogun has a firmware update. Uh, the Canon also just announced a firmware update for the 1DX and the 5D Mark III that it, nobody needs particularly. Yeah. But, you know, it used to be that they that barely ever, ever put out a firmware update unless they just absolutely had to fix something. And now it's like, oh, well, users are asking for these features, so let's add it, which is kind of cool. Well, and it's nice, too, that these aren't just, uh, oh, we corrected a misspelling in the right. Latin version of the firmware, you know. <laughs> it's like, great, okay, so somebody had a letter off in their menu for a long time if they were in Asia or something like that. There is one interesting thing, and I've kind of got this highlighted. It's number six on the Panasonic list. And you mentioned uh, the uh, Shogun. Uh, it does look like the part of the support package was to add support for the Atomis uh, play, send, start, and record information via the uh, YAGH adapter unit as well as the HDMI output. So yeah. for people that aren't familiar with that, uh, Canon's 5D Mark III, when their last firmware up, well, not last, but a couple firmware updates ago, they added HDMI support so that when you hit record on the camera, it actually sent that record signal out to the Atomis Ninja, or in this case, the Shogun, and allowed it to start and stop recording along with the camera. And that was really handy because you could basically control it from the camera and have a cable going out to it. Now with this, it looks like the GH4 will have pretty much the same option. A little bit late to the game, but uh, I think they're expecting a lot of people are going to be excited about 4K recording externally. Well, the, the, which is awesome, but the only thing that has always bothered me about this YAG, the Y-A-G-H, <laughs> I just call it the YAG, uh, is the fact that you have to have external power for the dang thing. Yeah. Um, it's 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 like they give you this great thing, but then you have to add another thing to your whole kit to externally power the damn thing. Well, and the price of that has been dropping fairly significantly. Because they're not selling any. Yeah, that's the thing. If you buy one, <laughs> you pretty much got to say, okay, look, I'm going to get this $1,700. I think it's down to $1,500 upgrade. You add it to your camera, and then you need a power pack, so you're going to need a V-Lock probably an Anton Bauer battery. You're going to need some kind of mounting system for this. You're going to need a monitor that supports SDI outs, or inputs, excuse me, and then you're going to need all the other stuff to run the camera, basically. So now you have XLR inputs, but that's great. You could have just bought a Juice Link or a Beach Tech unit and, exactly. you know, and recorded 4K internally and probably been just as happy or at least mostly as happy. Yeah. I don't exactly. know. All I'm right. Rolling on down the line here, I've got the Samsung NX1. Uh, this has kind of been a weird camera. I've been looking at it off and on, and one thing I want to say before I even go into this news article here is that I was really surprised by the selection of Samsung NX1 mount lenses. If you go on B&H, it's three pages, maybe four pages worth of, of lenses available for Samsung's body. They've really been cranking stuff out. Uh I had no idea this camera was even really a thing until I started looking at it. It is a thing. It is a real thing. Uh, I've been actually surprised at the number of people that have talked to me and said, hey, Planet Mitch, how come you're not talking more about the NX1? And I'm like, because eh, I thought, number one, it's Samsung. Number two, who cares, right? But 
there are a lot of people that are really excited about this camera. Well, one of the things to note about the NX1 is that, first of all, it's one of the first cameras in the consumer range to implement H.265 4K recording internally. It does have a 28 megapixel sensor, and they are continuing to release firmware updates for it. And this is another firmware story here. A version 1.2 instead of 2.1, this isn't confusing at all, is going to <laughs> add some new features to the NX1, which I don't know a ton about, but I've got it written down right here so that I can go through them. Uh, looks like you will be able to adjust audio in movie capture mode. That seems like it should have been a given to begin with. Um, wow. <laughs> uh, ISO adjustment during movie capture. Okay, that's another, like, what were you thinking, Samsung? I mean, I guess they're at least they're adding these things. Uh, 23.98 and 24p frame rates for 4K. That makes Which, sense. What were they recording in before? I, 30? 30, I think. That uh-huh. was, I think that was the big issue because... Man, I'm, people were, you know, know, I'm reading through these, good, but. and it doesn't look like they're doing anything amazing. It looks like they're just giving people what they should have given them to begin with. In the first place, yeah. Huh. yeah. That happens. Huh. You know, it's kind of like the, oh, oh, yeah, we should have put that in there. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> well, one thing Samsung does do, and they that's seen really well in their phones, is they just throw everything at the wall until something sticks to it. And then they focus in on that and make it better. So maybe because of this firmware, or maybe the NX1, because of the popularity, is is starting to see a lot more backing from Samsung. I know they've had cameras in the past, but other than walking by them in Best Buy, I haven't really even paid much attention to them. And now this camera's out and people are really excited about it. It looks like now they're releasing stuff that is going to make it more useful for filmmakers. I don't know that I'm going to move to the NX1 camp, especially since it's a proprietary lens format and it's a crop sensor. But, you know, if you need a 28.2 megapixel sensor and 4K recording, man, H.265, though. That's that's one of the sexy things to me about it. Uh, the more I learn about H.265, the more I think that's going to be the wave of the future. It is, uh, but, um, man, processing that, I'm guessing you're going to have to do some kind of either transcoding right out of the shoot, or you're going to have to have a very powerful computer to handle H.265 native editing. I don't know. Do you know if uh, Adobe has even released Kodak support for that yet? I I do not. Uh, I have not looked into that. There was one vendor, and they're going to shoot me because I can never come up with their name, but they they're really big on H.265 support in terms of transcoding and stuff. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm oh. sorry, whoever you are, I can't remember your name. Um, That's okay. I'll, I'll look that up, but we put it in the show notes. Yeah, uh, H.265, I'm kind of concerned about that right now. Uh, when H.264 came out, it was a huge issue for people with dual-core processors. Um, you could almost not edit it at all, and there was a ton of different companies working on different types of transcoding companies or transcoding systems and they were using GPU support or um, special APUs or all, all kinds of weird stuff. And now that's sort of taken care of when we moved to quad cores and now we have the six, six core extremes. But this H.265, the, the encoding is so complex that you almost want to have like a dual processor system to, to you know, make it smooth or a really decent GPU to transcode with. 
I'm 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 a drawing a blank too, Mitch. I used to know all the transcoding companies because I had to do it all the time, but now it, I haven't had to transcode something into another format in right years, in forever. <laughs> yeah, right? three or four years at least. So well, I do know that VLC can handle H.265, and that's a very common media player. Uh, FFmpeg, um, uh, the open source. Uh, kind of Kodak conglomeration slash uh, transcoding program also handles 265 as well as 264 and uh, a couple other oddball formats. Um, I don't remember what the label is for it, but uh, Google also has a 4K format that's supposed to be a competitor to H.265, and that competitor is also handled by FFmpeg. So <sighs> if you go online and look for that, that's Linux, Mac, and Windows support. Um, it's kind of a... A conglomeration type of thing a bunch of people basically open source that and and do their own bits and pieces and it supports some graphics cards it doesn't support other graphics cards it works sometimes and it's really good for some types of media players uh, in the case i use uh, windows media player i don't use vlc very much but the there is a way to install uh, ffmpeg to get it to work as a backend transcoder on the fly for Windows Media Player as well as some other media players. So I guess that's an option, maybe. Huh. I don't know. Um, codecs are always an issue. Oh, you aren't kidding. And it gets so complicated. And for those of you guys out there that aren't super technical, just think of the codec as the way something's transcoded. I know a lot of people get confused because they're like, well, it says .mov on the end. Well, that's just a container for whatever's inside of it. So the, what they do with that is they set up a system that says, here's the video and here's the audio, and they go together. And then they put that inside of, let's call this a box or a container. That works. you know. So MOV, when you see that label, that's just saying that, okay, this has video and audio of some kind in it, and that's it. And then in the header information for that, uh, that MOV label or MP4 label or whatever, it says, okay, here is the way this file was transcoded. Here's what type of encoding we used for the audio. And that's where the codecs come into play. Because you can have ACC audio encoded into your video, or you can have actual WAV WAV file encoded right. in your video, or any other you know variation on that system. And it's the same with, with the video format. You can have that encoded into H.265, H.264, um, motion JPEG, you can, all those things can be inside of that MOV container or MP4 container or whatever. So don't get focused on the the period and the last three right. letters after that. You know, worry about what's inside the file itself. I guess and, if and you're that's not, hard to know. I mean, most people just sort of expect to be able to look at the extension and know what's on the inside, right? It used to be that way probably, yeah. what, 10 years ago, 15 years ago? Okay, but... I'm dating myself again. <laughs> I know. Happens all the time. Oh, man. But, uh, yeah, th that's one thing to, to take a look at. And if you're using um, Adobe's products, a lot of times if you go into Premiere and you have the file in your, your, your pane for all your clips, your clip pane, you just click on that and go to Properties, and it'll bring up a list of everything that Adobe can figure out about that particular item. And it'll tell you, usually it'll tell you the uh, the frame size, it'll tell you the frame rate, it'll tell you 
what type of encoding was used on it and what the audio is encoded in and so on. So you can use that to kind of figure it out. And Adobe's also been pretty good in the past about giving you a warning that says, we don't have a Kodak that supports this. And what's the company that uh, GoPro bought that uh, did transcoding? Do you remember? It's uh, now inclo- included in their GoPro studio. No. Draw to blank. Remember. Oh, man. Uh, I'm just <laughs> failing this morning. I can't remember anything. But uh, anyway, there's a company that used to do really good transcoding, and GoPro bought them. And now whenever you download the GoPro studio that comes, uh, you know, it's kind of an editing slash transcoding program for your GoPro, GoPro footage. That has a lot of that stuff in the back end. And they sell for, I believe it's $7.99, a kind of CinePro or Cinema Pro, something of that nature, a name like that. That uh, basically, Cineform. Uh, Cineform, thank you. That was what I was searching for. Uh, Cineform that will allow you to transcode into that format, which is supposedly a lossless or less lossy format than some of these <laughs> other ones for editing. I am not the guy that digs deep into uh, these different codecs and determines which one is lossy or less lossy or or whatever. I don't push my grades as hard as a lot of people do. So I'll leave that to someone that's a little bit smarter than me in the color grading department. Yeah, well, there are a lot of those people. And and that's one of the things that, you know, getting into the filmmaking business, you have so much crap to learn. Oh man! I mean, it's not just the shooting part; it's the potentially the editing and the coloring and and the codecs and the compression and eight bit and ten bit and all these. It gets really kind of crazy when you get started. You're you're like somebody just please make this simple. Well, and once you get the video portion sorted out, then you have to worry about audio. That's and there's right. all the stuff that goes along with mixing your audio, knowing about how to record audio properly, and uh, I don't know. Audio's the ugly stepchild of filmmaking right yeah i mean it just doesn't get talked about much well it doesn't get talked about and then the complete obvious sign that somebody is uh, not very good at filmmaking is to go watch their their flick and and the audio is noisy it's hissy you can't understand what people are saying it sounds all garbled that immediately shows you oh this guy this is probably his first film or second film and he just hasn't really figured out how to do this yet or hired someone and and the second side of that is the people that are audio freaks are the first ones to yell at you if you screw it up. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm guilty of that sometimes. I uh... some of my first videos that I put online, the worst comments I got were, "God, man, fix that audio, get rid of that hiss." Oh, uh, I was on a shoot um, uh, last year, and I was working for free for that particular project, and because it was a couple of friends and everything, and this guy. He tells me, oh, yeah, I've run audio, uh, you know, tons of times on on all sorts of stuff. I can just take care of the boom mic for you and the audio recorder if you'd like. And I was like, uh, uh, and I looked at the guy who's in charge of the project. He's like, yeah, he does a good job. So I hand it over to him and he runs the mic the entire time while I'm working on uh, the shoot. And I get to post and I'm listening to the audio and I'm like, what the hell was this guy doing? He wasn't pointing the mic at people. It was windy out. He wasn't standing behind something that would block the wind. He didn't put the the windscreen on the mic when we were moving from inside to outside. And then the volume was all over the place. Three quarters of it was unusable. And this is a guy who, you know, people were like, yeah, yeah, I I can handle it. I've done this dozens of times. Like, what have you done to other people's films? You jerk, man. Okay, so you've done it poorly multiple times. 
when are you going to learn how to do it right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to make you spit your water out. Oh, that's okay. I, I caught it in time. <laughs> um, For those of you who aren't watching video, because we're not doing video yet, this is rather entertaining. Yeah, he can actually see me flail around and drink out of my Batman cup here. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, the moving on running by. to the discussion topics here. Yeah, there oh, was discussion. actually... A dog running by earlier. I didn't know I you saw, saw that. that. Yeah. Well, it's because you got that wide-angle lens on there. Yeah, it makes me... It's slimming, Mitch. It makes me look <laughs> skinny, you know. All yeah, right. Yeah. Rolling into discussion topics here. And this is actually the first on my list. I was uh, looking at this earlier, and I held this up for Mitch in the camera a bit ago. The Sony A-mount to E-mount adapter. And let's get the labeling correct right now. It's a LA-EA4 adapter. And I've got the Tamron 28 to 75 millimeter f2.8 lens on that adapter. So basically to talk about this adapter a little bit, what it's doing is it in the A-mount lenses, the body actually has the motor driver for the lens itself. So there's a little piece in there that pops out and goes into the lens and then spins a little screw adapter that operates the focus mechanism for the lens. A lot of people were complaining about how noisy that was and i'd used them i tested it out but i hadn't actually bought any lenses to go with it yet and when i tested it out i didn't think it was that bad it it sounded like a kind of mediocre kit lens but since we're doing audio here i've got it right in front of me and listen to this and i'm trying to oh you know okay this is actually a pain i didn't get take a lens two. cap take two so can you hear that yeah. It's not that. It's not very loud. And the focus system, I mean, it's actually louder for the SLT uh, screen to move up and down than it is anything else. Focus speed on this is really decent, and it's no louder than a kit lens. I mean, if you're trying to do something that's kind of undercover or something like that, this probably isn't the way to go. But for basic regular shooting, it isn't much louder than any other you know, standard off of the, off the cuff lens, you know, and you're listening to that right now, Mitch, what do you think? Too loud? It, it doesn't sound that bad from here, but, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not using not sure. it either. So, uh, <laughs> it, it does look like it adds quite a bit of bulk though. Yeah, that is true. Um, if you swing over to dslrfilmnoob.com, self plug there, uh, Ding. it, uh, adds up about as much space as you would get out of your 6D. So I have a picture of this sitting with the adapter next to the Canon 6D with a 24 to 70 Tamron, and they're almost identical in size as far as length goes. Uh, the body's still skinnier, but by the time you add this adapter, you're basically giving yourself what you would have gotten out of a normal lens with a normal uh, shutter and everything else. So... You're not going to save on space, but you are saving on price. This Tamron 28 to 75 F2.8 was $150 used on eBay with $9 shipping. So that's a really cheap F2.8 lens for your camera versus Sony's offering, which is in the $1,000 range. And there are also all of the Minolta lenses. Um, I've got the 51.4 on order. That was $122. Uh, for the Minolta version, and Sony's version is upwards of $400. So you buy this adapter for $300 to 350 
And then basically you have a whole bunch of really affordable lenses to choose from. I think that's the advantage. Well, yeah, there's a couple of questions that come out of there. And I think I think I learned this the other day, but I'm not 100% sure. But the Minolta lenses became the A adapter on Sony, right? Didn't Sony buy correct. them out? Okay. Now, are you having any trouble when you buy? You talk about buying lenses off of eBay all the time. Doesn't I that do. scare the crap out of you? It did when I first started. Um, eBay used to be kind of like the Wild West of lens buying. Right. You would go on there and you would hope you got something good. And a lot of times you did, but sometimes somebody would just really trick you. In the latter years, eBay's implemented a ton of protections that will freeze the account of the seller if the lens is messed up and, and things like that. So that really? you'll have to wait for a little while. Um, in In one case, I had to wait for 30 days to get my money back. But the seller sent me a lens that had a big gash across the front of it. <laughs> and it wasn't described. So I was like, look, I want to return this. And he says, no returns. And so I file a case with eBay. It took a couple of clicks and me typing up and taking a picture of it. And I right. sent it in. And then they froze his account, held the money. I sent it back. As soon as the tracking showed that it was at his location, they refunded me my cash. And everything was good to go. So wow. uh, because of that, people have gotten less shady about selling junk on eBay. Um, huh. the lenses I've bought, I, I just got this guy. I've got the 51.4 coming. Those I usually don't have any issue with. There are some gotchas, like in the case of this Tamron I'm holding right now, it, uh, did not come with a lens cap, huh. but I, I went back and checked the description to, to see, and the description does not mention a lens cap being included in the purchase. So, you know, I got shorted a $5 67-millimeter uh, lens cap. I ordered one on Amazon. It's not that big a deal. But right. for the most part, people are really kind of good about that. And when you're buying used lenses, a lot of times you're either buying from a dealer, which is, you know, Roberts has a big presence on there, and a couple of Japanese uh, camera used gear dealers have a big right. presence on there. So those guys are really solid. And then the people that are selling lenses – themselves individually are usually other photographers filmmakers and so on who are changing their gear out or you know moving around with their lenses or whatever so then they actually care about their equipment as well and i don't know what it is about photographers in general but most of them i want to stress most because i've met some photographers that just throw their lenses into cases and don't give a darn about it but those have really obvious signs of wear. It's pretty easy right. to spot. The ones that are clean and not scratched up or anything, generally those guys take really good care of their lenses. And when you buy them on eBay, the worst you're going to end up with is, you know, maybe they used a cleaning cloth too, too much on the front and the element, the coating is a little bit worn out on an older lens or something like that. But for the price, I mean, 150 bucks for a F2.8 28 to 75 millimeter zoom, I mean... That's cool. That's yeah. a good price. And uh, there's a lot of old lenses out there, and they were popular for a while, and then now they're not. So uh, uh, Tokina, if you look on eBay and you are thinking about this adapter for your A7S, the Tokina lenses, they have a 20 to 35 millimeter F2.8, and you can get that for under $200. They have a 24 to 70 millimeter and a 28 to 80 millimeter that are both F2.8, and you can get those for 400 to $300. And then they have a 80 to uh, 200 millimeter f2.8, and you can get that for like 350 or 400. 
And that's oh. your entire zoom range. I mean, you're a little right. bit low on the wide. 20 is not right. quite as wide as I'd want to go. But right. still, prices, man, that's that's a whole kit for under $1,000. Yeah. You can't really do that with many I other things. I paid a lot more than that for my uh, Canon 70 to 200. I know. I was just thinking about my <laughs> 7200 IS. That's that was like yeah. 14 or 1500 bucks and I bought that used. You know, yeah. I think new, what is it? Like $1800 or $1900? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I dropped mine and broke it. So Oh. Uh, you have uh, insurance? I, and no, I didn't. Oh. It, it, oh cost me a lot of money to get it fixed dang man Um, there's a tip though i i got a good tip my good friend barry anderson who used to do uh he does a lot of writing for planet 5d by the way uh filmmaker extraordinaire if you ever want to look him up that's anderson with two s's uh his tip to me always was if you're going to buy used lenses look for a photographer he said photographers take awesome care of their lenses if you buy lenses from filmmakers, they're beat to crap. <laughs> he says, don't buy lenses from filmmakers. Buy them from photographers if you can. That was his his tip for me. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Um, <laughs> it really yeah. makes a difference. And like I said, you can you can look at the pictures on eBay and you can tell right away what kind yeah. of guy had the lens. If it's right. dinged up and bent and the you know, the rubber adjustment ring is, you know, falling off the the lens. Don't don't buy it unless it's a really, really good price. But right. if it looks nice from the pictures and the elements look good and uh, especially like Roberts, they have a grading system and they'll say this lens is, you know, an A plus or a, an E or a, a C or a D or whatever. And they have descriptions saying like may have fungus growing inside or, you know, may have <laughs> dirt all over everything, you know, and then they'll say, well, this one is minor wear, but in mostly excellent cosmetic condition. And, and so if you follow those, those guys, they make their living selling used gear. So they're not right. going to try and trick you into getting something shifty or crappy and their prices are a bit higher, but still they're pretty decent used prices. Well, I'm really glad that I talked to you today because I've, I've had the, eBay, I'm not going to touch a lens on eBay mentality for years because of the way it used to be. So I'm glad you've taught me something new. Thank you. One other secret is if you, I live in a small town, but I travel to large cities on a regular basis. And this is kind of a dick move. I'm going to just put that out there right now. But I Uh get onto Craigslist and I look for people selling lenses and I just lowball the crap out of them. You know, and what's the worst they're going to do? Like a lot of times they just tell you really no. inappropriately to, to, to not talk yeah. to them anymore and they right. send you offensive stuff. But once in a while, somebody's like, okay. And you're yeah. like, all right, I'll meet you at the Starbucks in like 10 minutes. You go right. pay them $400 for a lens that's probably worth $800. And yeah. you are taking advantage of someone else's suffering. They probably need to pay rent or make their car payment or something like that. But, you know... And that can really score you something nice. And then if you don't end up liking the lens, you can always put it on eBay and make a couple hundred bucks off of it. (laughs) And I don't know why they don't put it on eBay, but I think maybe it's an immediate money in their pocket type of thing where you just Uh need a payday loan of some sort. So that's my pro tip is go hit Craigslist immediately. Yeah. Well, if anybody wants a Philip Bloom pocket dolly, I want to get rid of mine. (laughs) 
Wow, man. Well, speaking of eBay, I need to put it up on eBay. Now, anyway. that's the other thing. Um, eBay does take a huge cut for sellers. Oh, I know. Oh, man. I just, I, I, know. I was going to sell off my 5D Mark, because I have two 5D Mark threes. I sold one of them off, and I was going to sell it on eBay, but I was looking at the hit, and it would have been 300 and some dollars to sell it wow. off on eBay uh, really? by the time you pay the final value fee and everything else. Oh but my God. selling it on Craigslist, I did have to deal with some people showing up at my place and, you know, talking to me about it and hanging out for a little bit too long and being a little awkward. But <laughs> I sold it for the same price as I would have sold it for on eBay, and I didn't yeah. have to pay a final right. value fee. Right. And because right. it was cash on the barrel head, you know, uh, yeah. I don't know if my taxes will show that I got that or not. It, oh, well, I don't know. That's a gray area. I'm, I'll talk to my tax man about it and Actually, decide. Yeah, yeah, good. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. But I actually, there there was several years ago an awesome article on Planet 5D, if I say so myself, uh, about needing to declare that stuff because the guy that wrote the story uh, was burned badly when he found that he had sold several very expensive things and the IRS found out about it and he had to pay some bad penalties. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I've been audited three times, so I joke, but <laughs> I do take care of those things for a reason. Um, once you've been audited once and stressful enough and two times is like God. winning the lottery and the third time is just, you know, a, a big swift kick in the, you know. Yeah, <laughs> oh. yeah. It sucks. So don't don't do that. Um, Mitch is absolutely right. Uh, we're running into the fifty minute mark, so I'm only going to wow. touch a couple of these discussion topics here. Uh, let's see. I'm going to skip the FCP updates because ten point one point five doesn't seem to be super interesting. Uh, Black Magic is rolling out a new camera utility, uh, two point zero zero. Mitch, do you know anything about this thing? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to skip uh, that one. No, uh, just kidding. Um, Blackmagic is basically adding some more features to it. Uh, they're adding ProRes support for 444. They're also, and that's in 4K mode as well as HD. Uh, they're adding some performance improvements as well as um, better performance with the optical fiber output for audio and video. Uh, this is mostly on their larger camera, their 4K um, kind of studio camera. And I'm looking through here. The rest of it just seems to be mostly bug fixes. That's one of my big complaints about Blackmagic is they put out awesome products, but they put them out really fast. And then you have to wait for a year or two for the update that makes it what they said it was going to be. Do you know do you, do you know about the Black Sun problem? Yeah. <laughs> the uh, IR like just beaming in and like blowing yeah, out the camera. Have they fixed that yet? No. You know? No, they I have mean, that, not. That blows me away. Now, how long has that been around? That's like what, two years? Three yeah, years? Since day one. Yeah, three, so. Three years. Wow. Uh, it, it turns out, by the way, so the Black Sun thing, if you, if you watch, if you point the Black Magic camera anywhere close to the sun, instead of seeing a white blown out spot, you'll see a black spot. I've seen that actually on TV since I watched too much TV. I've got like several examples where I've been watching a show and they've pointed the camera, you know, for effect to get some light streaming into the camera. And there's this big black spot in the background. And you're like, this is just wrong. This is not right. It works, too, for headlights. I mean, there are some some videos where you can see the spot in the headlights instead of. Wow. But it's but it's the Alexa, the 
$60,000 Alexa, and I don't know exactly which model it is, but somebody told me that the Alexa has the same problem. And I'm like, what? Can you guys fix this? Yeah. Wow. Uh, because one of the shows I was asking on Twitter about one of the shows and I posted the, the image and they said, well, that show is shot on Alexa. I was like, holy crap. Uh, yeah. It, you know, I, I like what black magic is doing as far as, you know, being innovative and right. moving ahead of the curve on a lot of this stuff and kind of reinventing a lot of the things that have kind of been left, left alone by other camera manufacturers. But man, they have this thing where their firmware is never ready to go. And I've actually talked to them at several uh, events, and I'm like, hey, when are you going to get this sorted out? They're like, well, listen, we're focused on the hardware, and we know uh, it's capable of doing this, but we yeah. just don't have a big enough coding team to take care of it right away. They're focusing uh, on making it work, and then they'll focus on the extra stuff. Wrong and that's Yeah, that's horrible. That's like, okay, listen, you have this great camera, and it could be amazing and do everything you need it to do. Instead, we're just going to give it to you, and you're going to have to wait for a year before you can actually use it the way you would like to use it. Seriously, guys? Yeah. Ugh. All right, moving on down the line here. Um, this one actually is from your site, Mitch. Uh, I have what? a Aperture VS3, and I <laughs> noticed that you picked up the VS2. Tell me more. Uh, actually, uh, you didn't read closely enough. Uh, uh Oh, <laughs> no, that's fine. That was Hugh, one of my writers. I do have several writers working for me now, which is really awesome. Oh man, awesome. you're a fancy guy. I am. I am very impressive. And, and so people don't always look and I get attributed for a lot of great articles that I actually haven't written. But, uh, so Hugh Brownstone wrote that particular story and, and I agree with him because I actually do have the VS2. They shipped me one as well. Uh, it's a great little monitor. Now, you know, it's, I think the list price is $299 or something. It's pretty cheap. Yeah. Uh, and for what I'm doing, like when I'm shooting myself in the basement, doesn't that sound funny? <laughs> um, when I am making my own videos in my Planet 5D observatory that I call my new studio downstairs, uh, it's nice to have a monitor, right? So it's pointing at me so I can see that I'm in focus and the stuff that I'm shooting of myself is in focus. Uh, I don't need fancy stuff. It does have, you know, uh, zebras and focus peaking stuff on there, kind of cool stuff. But I don't really use that much. I just like to see myself and be able to shoot. And if you don't need to have one of the really expensive monitors, then pff, why not get one of the Aperture VS3s? I think the VS3 is replacing the VS2. Yeah, I was looking at the the specs here, trying to figure out what the difference was, and it kind of, this almost looked like a firmware difference because the VS2 and the VS3 both have very similar, if not the same, screens, and a lot of the features are very similar, but yeah. then the uh, VS3 has that... Uh, external audio meter for black magic cameras as well as it looks like possibly a more refined focus peaking system i haven't used the vs2 i've only used the vs3 so i can't speak to the two but the three has been a very decent and well-priced uh camera right. i mean yeah. uh monitor, monitor excuse me now yeah. i'm thinking about it's, cameras again it, it goes back to what you need it for you know i love small hd and i love uh, convergent design. The, it, even the Atomos has, you know, the Shogun's a yeah. gorgeous looking screen. But if you're standing 10 feet away of, from it and shooting yourself, is that helping you a whole lot? Not really. 
I it have, just depends upon what your needs are. I have a plethora of screens around. I'm just looking around the studio, and I can see a Must HD screen. I've got the Sony CLV55. I've got a Veltrox. I've got, <laughs> oh, man, I've got so many of them. And the thing is, is you kind of got to, like Mitch said, you got to decide what you need it for. The right. Valtrox isn't exactly an amazing screen, but it's a hundred dollars or less, and it's you know uh, eight hundred by six hundred, so you you get a, a fairly decent field of view. I have that stationary on a set for just product shots when I'm I need to just glance over and see the framing really quick, and the camera's not right. pointed in the general direction. I can move stuff around. It's not as though I'm I'm doing grading or anything like that off of it, but it's yeah. there. And then right. I have my my small HD monitors for. When I'm actually on set and I want to be a little bit more impressive and people want to see like kind of what I'm working on. If right. I'm just running around and framing stuff, I mean, the yeah. VS3 is is perfect. And it's that actually does have a surprisingly good screen. It does. And then, of course, there is also the added benefit. And this is one thing for Blackmagic camera owners. The uh, small pocket cam doesn't have audio meters on screen unless they fix that, which I don't believe they have. So the VS3 and possibly the VS2, I don't know, I haven't used the VS2, but the VS3 has incoming audio level meters for the HDMI port. So if you plug that into this particular monitor, you can set it up so you can actually see audio levels on screen, even though the camera itself doesn't provide it. So that is one really handy feature. That the VS2 does have audio meters, uh, but I've never been able to use them because I'm shooting in the Canon stuff. So Yeah, and I actually, like, I don't have a pocket camera in studio, so I actually tested that out when I was originally writing this post on the VS3 on the C100 because it did have that ability to, to pipe out a, uh, audio via HMI port. Because, yeah. uh, you know, obviously the 5D Mark III, still not fixed. Thanks, Canon, <laughs> for that one. You guys are great. All yeah. right, moving on to the last thing here, pick of the day. What do you got for us, Mitch? I have something that, that's excited me a lot, and it's probably not going to be too exciting for some people, and, or maybe most people, but uh, I am really excited about a tool called Mobio, and that's M-O-B-I-O. If you go to planet5d.com slash M-O-B-I-O, you will find out about it. But if you own a website and you're having trouble getting traffic, well... Most people are, right? Mobio is for Mac people. And that's probably why you're not very excited about it because you're going home. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now trying to figure out what it, what it is exactly. It's, it's a push technology. And again, I apologize because this isn't about video. It's about websites. But you said I could say anything I wanted, right? right? Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Mobio, so, so people who have Macs, like OS 10 are now used to the fact that you get little alerts in the upper right-hand corner of your screen when you get a new email or when your music changes and you get to see what the new song is. So there's these little notifications. It's it's very much like iOS on your phone where you get a notification that somebody sent you a tweet or something or Facebook posted something. Okay. So now for your website, like Planet 5D, if you go to planet5d.com, there will be a little pop down that will say do you want notifications from planet 5d so now when i publish a new blog post not only do i then publish it on twitter and facebook or wherever but people who are mac users will and they accept that will get a little push notification in their screen that says planet 5d just published a new post and here's what it's called and so, so that's 
it's one additional way for a website owner to be in front of their people that like them. This is like, have you heard of the app Yo? Yo, yes, I have. Yeah, this sounds almost exactly like what Yo does, where you install it on your phone or your Android device, or it even has a Chrome extension, I believe. And once it's installed, anytime uh, anything that you've selected comes up or something new comes out, like uh, Planet 5D, for example, then you get a Yo, and it says, hey, look, this thing has, you know, whatever you've subscribed to has a new article, new whatever. And it's kind of... It feels like almost the easier version of RSS because I'm old school. I still have an RSS feed that I keep track of everything in. And honestly, a lot of these show notes I generate are from a hundred different subscriptions to RSS feeds because I'm looking through all the things and trying to find the the stuff that's interesting to me and to Mitch and everybody else. And yo, I think that, and uh, what was the other one? Mobi, 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 Mobio and Mobio. Mobio, those both do the sort of alert to you thing, correct? The 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 difference, the only difference is that this is Mobio is for your desktop. Ah, uh, okay? okay. And it's for Mac desktops, it's not for Windows. So if if one of your readers is a Windows person, they won't see it. But if they're a Mac user, they will. Now, sixty percent of my audience is Mac users, so I've implemented it. So it's it's not necessarily going to reach everybody in my audience, but it's it's another way of getting my content in front of people potentially you know right now we're we're fighting with you know facebook is you know you only see like 17 percent of anything that anybody publishes on facebook yeah unless you pay to have your stuff pushed to more people so one one side complaint about tool. facebook is people have been hijacking lately and i don't know who you are guys and i'm not super <laughs> mad at you but i'm a little bit upset uh they've been downloading videos from youtube uh, from my channel and from others and then they've been creating facebook accounts and uploading those videos back into facebook really and the traffic isn't amazing right now but i've seen a couple of them where they've got a couple thousand views and it's me talking and these people go to my facebook page or to my website steal a picture of me put it up and then pretend to be me and i'm not 100 percent sure what their motivation is because I don't know that you can make money by getting a lot of views from my videos on Facebook, (laughs) but whoever you are, I guess maybe contact me and, you know, ask first. That would be awesome. Or cut it out. Cut it out. Yeah. Or, you know, give me some share of that ad revenue of whatever secret money is coming into you. Yeah. Well, yeah. If if they're, if they're making money on it, let me know. I'll, I'll do the same thing. I'll steal your videos. Yeah. Thanks, Mitch. (laughs) Uh, while we were talking about um, uh, Windows, I actually have something for my pick of the week, and that is the Lenovo ThinkPad 8, 8.1-inch Windows tablet. It has a 1920 by 1200 IPS display screen. It's 8.1 inches, so it's a little bit larger than a Nexus 7 tablet. And it is a quad-core 3770 CPU, uh, so you can basically run Lightroom on it. And that is what I use it for. I throw it into my bag, and since it's a small, skinny tablet, I have one of those uh, uh, messenger-style bags with the zipper in the front, and I can fit the entire tablet in there. I have a little kickstand for it that's uh, basically a magnetic cover. You flip it up, and I have one of the Arc Touch uh, Microsoft um, mice, and that folds down flat, and then you can fold it out. 
And now you have a quick way to dig into your photos and edit them and upload them or whatever. And it runs full-fledged Lightroom. You can do a Premiere on it, but this you're dealing with an 8-inch screen, so yeah. it's probably not the best for that. But wow. it also is a full-fledged Windows operating system, not a Windows RT. So in some cases, I needed to generate a jingle uh, over a couple-hour period, and I don't have a lot of audio equipment with me. I can load a full-fledged version of Fruit Loops or uh, Ableton onto that, and I can do audio editing right away and generate something. I can clean up tracks. I've even worked on this podcast off of that particular tablet and been able to render out in a short amount of time. So those are were originally 700 or $600 when they came out, but they were very unpopular in the United States and only popular in Europe. So huh. if you go on eBay... You can pick the eBay. Lenovo uh, ThinkPad 8 up for around 200 to 300 bucks. And wow. it comes with a 128 gig hard drive, or SSD, excuse me, and it has an expansion slot so you can add a micro SD card that's another 128 gig. And that gives you a ton of space to work with in a really tiny form factor. I know, Mitch, you're a, a Mac person, so I'm guessing you have either an Air or uh, a tablet of some kind. I don't know which version, three or four or something like that. Does that run Lightroom? Can you do this sort uh, no. of thing? No. I have an iPad 2, actually, is, is how old my technology is. Uh, and it's sitting on my desk, hardly used in it at this point, because I do have the iPhone 6 Plus, because I love the screen on this. Uh, but that would be... I mean, it's, it's sort of a toss-up when you go traveling as to what computer you're going to take, right? Yeah. And... and for a while, I did have a keyboard for my iPad, and I was trying to use my iPad as my travel computer, and that just didn't work out because it didn't do enough of the heavy lifting that I needed, and it sounds like that Lenovo could be really cool. That's what I ran into. I was attempting to use the Nexus 7 II as my right. all-around traveling device, and well. Shooting on the Panasonic GH4, I am able to download photos from the camera wirelessly and sort of manipulate them a little bit. It's like instead of having a saw to cut down a tree, you're handed a butter knife and you could probably accomplish the task, but it is so much more painful to do. Yeah. And trying to make the Nexus 7 fit into that category was so frustrating that I was like, listen, I need to do something different. And the touchscreen keyboard, uh, for the most part, I don't type articles on a, pa- a tablet. You know, I right. would have to get a keyboard. But a mouse and a touchscreen is more than enough to edit photos and do basic editing on anything you want to really work on. And the touchscreen is nice because you can swipe through things. And the full-fledged window support means that any apps or programs that you would normally install on your regular desktop, you can install on this tablet. And 1080p screen, that's good enough to work on most things. Right. And, right. you know, how much power do you need? I used to care, I, and sometimes I still do, I have a full-fledged, uh, crazy big editing laptop for that sort of thing. But this weekend, I'm flying to uh, Oregon. I'm going to do a pitch. I have, like, two lunches and a dinner, and then I have to show off a few things and do a PowerPoint. So, yeah. you know, for that, do I need a full-size Laptop? Probably not. They're going to have a computer there at the office for me. I plug in my thumb drive. I do my PowerPoint. I go to lunch. I show them a few images and stills and maybe play a a jingle for them if that's what ends up coming up. And then I leave. So I don't really need to have a full-fledged laptop with me. 
And right. if I'm there, like, you know, because I'm going to have a little bit of extra time in Seattle on Monday, I'll probably run around and take some pictures. And now I want to edit those really quick and do something with them. Or maybe they ask me like, hey, we've got this product or something and we want to, you know, get a mock-up. Can you do that really quick? Oh, yeah, sure. You know, I can grab a snapshot of that, drop it onto my tablet and edit it up really quick and then email it to you and have it to you the same day, you know. Yeah, but does it have a camera on it? It does. <laughs> but, oh my gosh, if you're going to use that, you, you might as well just stop. Uh, it's yeah. So that's one. Oh, the only annoying thing about it is um, the magnetic cover it's similar to what they do with the iPad where right. you when it senses that the magnet has gone away, it turns the camera on. Well, the cover for that from Lenovo has the same thing. So if you accidentally bump it, it turns the camera on and takes Aww. a picture. And it's like, man, and now I have to go delete a bunch of <laughs> pictures because I was, you know, had my thumb in the wrong place and bumped it a couple of times. So yeah. I'm probably going to replace that cover with something that's completely solid so that doesn't happen, but... It's still for the price, and again, um, I'm pushing eBay here, but uh, man, for that half the price of what it was retail, that's a pretty good deal. Yeah, sounds awesome. All right, Mitch, what's going on this week at Planet 5D? Well, I, I think we're all excitedly just hovering, waiting to find out what Canon announces at the end of next week. So by the time we do our recording for this podcast next week, we should be really just focusing nothing but awesome camera gear from canon do you think they're gonna do the three camera union thing with like multiple versions of the same camera i they might uh my friend over at canon rumors craig who runs canon rumors says is is convinced that they're gonna have at least a, a one with the with the regular an x and uh, a c yeah, with the regular, what do you call it? Why can I not come up with the CMOS sensor? The front. No, the filter on the front of the filter of the the sensor. IR filter. Yeah, thank you. Good lord, <laughs> it's still early, Mitch. That's fine. Yeah, I know. I got a lot to do today, uh, but so that's. I mean, that's the excitement that I'm looking forward to, and I. Everything I'm hearing is that they will announce something, whether it's going to be crummy little rebels or like I like they're talking about putting out a six Ti, right? Okay, uh, the three Ti or the three T, the three, the, yeah, the three Ts. I mean, it's still one of the highest selling cameras. The four Ti and the five Ti are snoozers, <laughs> but they're going to come out with the six Ti. Okay, I guess. Yeah, the T three I had the flip out screen, and that was the only difference between the T two I and the T three I. Right. And people were like, oh, sweet flip out screen. And then after that, they're like, what do I need these other cameras for? They're the same camera with right. Now it has, you know, super color clown face mode. Great. You know, like yeah, I can push a button does. and turn all my images into Instagram, you know. Exactly. Oh, hipster I don't, I don't know what's going to be on the 6Ti. I just don't know. Yeah. Nah. Uh, anyway, that, Whatever. that's making I, me sad just talking about it. Sorry. <laughs> um, on DSLRFilmNoob.com, it'll be a little bit sparse this week. I am traveling to uh, Portland and to Seattle. Um, when I get back, uh, hopefully there'll be some more testing on that monoprice audio device. That testing did already go up, and uh, preliminary results are kind of pointing towards Wi-Fi being a issue in anything over three or four Wi-Fi channels. But I'm going to take it to the forest with me because I hear there's a lot of forest <laughs> between Oregon and Washington, and I do have yeah. a rental car. So when I'm out in the middle of nowhere, I'll be doing some audio samples, and hopefully I'll get those posted by Sunday uh, before I fly back. And that's about it. Otherwise, guys, we'll see you next time on another DSLR Film Noob podcast. Hey.